Today on Blue 58, we're going to hop in our time machine and redo one of the worst moments of the Ted Thompson era. But here's a fair warning. This may not work out as well as you think. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We are starting what I think is going to be kind of an irregular series for us. Ideally, you'll be able to pull any one of these episodes out at any time from the podcast feed and listen to it kind of regardless of what's going on at the time. Calling them alternate histories. And we're going to go back to moments in Packers history and try to work out some other ways that things could have happened. I thought the natural way to start this was to go back and talk about the 2015 NFL Draft. Everybody wants a do-over now and then, and I think one of the things that comes up more often than just about anything else with the Packers, other than like the 2014 NFL or NFC Championship game in Seattle, or the Kevin King trade uh, related to T.J. Watt, is the 2015 NFL Draft. It's known as one of Ted Thompson's Poorer performances. Wasn't great. And you see these redraft things all the time. It's especially common in the NBA, and we're coming up on NBA draft season here. Uh, But in the NFL, it's a little bit trickier. But I think it'd be fun to do it just the same, provided that we set a few rules for ourselves. First and foremost, no stacking the board. You can't just say I'd take some guy that was taken in the third or fourth round with my first round pick because I know he turned out to be good. Well, congratulations to you. You can identify good players that everybody knows is good. That's really great. That doesn't add a whole lot to the discussion, but you picked out somebody who turned out to be good. That's great. The rule for what we'll do as far as the Packers picks here is we'll take the draft slots that they originally had and we'll pick players who would have gone in the next 10 picks or who ultimately ended up going in the next 10 picks or were the next player off the board at the position that the Packers ended up choosing. We're also going to try to stay on the same side of the ball that the Packers pick. So say their first pick in the the first round, they take Demarius Randall. You could go any number of directions there, obviously, because there's only 29 other players that have been picked. You could pick pretty much anybody, but we're going to try to pick somebody who's picked no later than 40 and who also happened to play defense or the outside chance the next corner or safety off the board. We're also going to say that if the Packers traded up, they were going to be stuck with the slot they ended up in. In 2015, that happened to be the pick where they drafted Brett Hundley. Sorry, we're stuck with that. I know if we were redoing it, they wouldn't have traded up for Brett Hundley, but they did, so we're just going to pick where they ultimately ended up picking. Because if you start going too far down the, well, if they hadn't done this, then they could have done this and then this, it just kind of becomes meaningless. And there will be one exception to that rule in the class that we end up putting together here, but we're going to try to stick to it as closely as we can. So let's get started. The first pick that the Packers took in the 2015 NFL Draft, came in the 30th slot. Number 30. Three picks from the end in the first round, and they took Demarius Randall, a safety or corner or whatever, out of Arizona State. Was this a good pick? Probably not. I think we can fairly safely say it was not the greatest pick the Packers have made in the Ted Thompson era or any other. However, I don't think even now it's as straightforwardly crazy 
to take Demarius Randall as it's been made out to be. Because when you start looking at who they could have taken instead, it gets a little bit tricky. There's not just an overwhelming amount of great players in the next 10. At 32, you've got Malcolm Brown, a defensive tackle out of Texas who ended up in New England. At 33, you've got Landon Collins, a safety out of Alabama. He went to Washington, or he went to New York and then ultimately to Washington. You've got Donovan Smith at 34, a tackle out of Penn State. Not spectacular, but he's been a fairly long-term starter there. Preston Smith, now with the Packers, went 38th, an edge rusher type out of Mississippi State. Then you've got Eddie Goldman, another defensive lineman out of Florida State. He ends up with the Chicago Bears. The next safety off the board after Demarius Randall was Landon Collins. The next corner was Eric Rowe out of Philadelphia. So you've got a wide variety of options there. But it's not like the Packers passed up some surefire Pro Bowl players, some guys who turned out to be perennial All-Pros. Even Landon Collins, I'm not sure he would have been a great fit. It's easier, I think, in hindsight, if you really look at who was available, who was on the board, to see what the Packers were thinking. Now, on the other hand, even at this time, edge rusher was a problem in Green Bay. You never really got that full development from Nick Perry, and he's heading into the back half, back end of his contract by this point. Dayton Jones is into his third year already. He's had two disappointing years in Green Bay. Julius Peppers is still around heading into the second year of his contract, but you can always use more edge rusher defensive line types. And bear in mind that at this time as well, the Packers still have Sam Shields and Micah Hyde and Casey Hayward, a pretty solid defensive backfield. So if I'm the Packers and I'm drafting here in the first round with the benefit of a little bit of hindsight and deciding that I don't necessarily want an interior defensive lineman, I think I probably take Preston Smith. He wouldn't have been an overwhelmingly exciting first round pick anyway, but neither was Demarius Randall. And from that, you get some interesting cascading effects. Does Nick Perry get a big-time contract if Preston Smith is on the roster and playing similarly to how he does in Washington for his few, first few years there? You kind of doubt it. Dayton Jones probably may have had some different opportunities. Maybe he wouldn't have had to get bounced around between positions as much. Maybe they keep uh, Julius Peppers fresher or longer. Maybe Clay Matthews can play a little bit more inside if there's not as, as much pressure for him to play outside. There are options here. And I think the Packers neglected edge rusher for a little bit too long. Nick Perry was not working out. Dayton Jones was not working out. But unlike what they've ultimately ended up doing with corner, they haven't kept picking players there to try to get it to work out. This is an opportunity to do that. So lock him in. Preston Smith comes to Green Bay a lot earlier than he ends up or ultimately doing. On to pick number two for the Packers, 62nd overall. Originally here, they picked Quentin Rollins, a cornerback out of Miami of Ohio. Was this a good pick at the time? I think in hindsight, we can say definitely not. Even with the good season that he had in college, it did seem like a little bit of a reach at the time, and it obviously got even worse and worse as time went on. Quentin Rollins doesn't even have the redeeming values that a guy like Josh Jones has. Even if he can't play on defense, at least Josh Jones is a good athlete. 
Quentin Rollins is not in the same universe athletically as Josh Jones. So who else could they have picked? Well, within the next 10 picks, there are two intriguing options here for the Packers, and both ultimately ended up with the Seattle Seahawks. 63rd overall, the the Seahawks took Frank Clark, a defensive end out of Michigan, and at 69, nice, they took Tyler Lockett, a wide receiver, out of Kansas State. Both of those obviously significantly better options than Rollins. The next corner is a guy I have to admit that I have never heard of. DeJune DeJohn Smith went, went to Indianapolis, ultimately played five games in the NFL, four with the Colts, one with the Titans. Not great. So Rollins, probably the best cornerback picked in this neighborhood, ultimately not even close to the best corner from this class. So who should they have picked? Well, obviously, the choice here is pretty simple. If your choices of the next 10 picks up after the Packers are Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett, I probably pick Frank Clark. Sure, you're doubling up on pass rushers, and he's probably a little bit more of a 4-3 type than the Packers had been going with at this time. But still, you can find good places to to put good players. And if you're not so focused on one position like they were, Maybe you focus just instead on a different position. You end up entirely focused on your on your edge rusher types. That maybe is not necessarily the worst idea in the world. And even conceding that the Packers had a bit of a deeper stable of edge rushers then than now, or then than prior to the uh, twenty nineteen draft, it still is not a bad idea to have more. And maybe in this situation, some of their cornerbacks that they actually had on the roster ended up working out a little bit better. Who knows? Moving right along, the Packers are up again at 94. And with this original pick, they took Ty Montgomery, then a wide receiver, out of Stanford. This one, I think, is a little bit tricky to evaluate. It ultimately is kind of a wash as a player. When he was healthy, other than the fumble against the Rams, he was pretty okay. Probably not what they expected in the third round, but not necessarily a terrible player. And I think had Mike McCarthy been a little bit more creative and used him a little bit better as a receiver, as a running back, a pass-catching running back, I guess that is a better way of saying that, maybe he ends up working out a little bit better. But there are also some intriguing options coming up right after Ty Montgomery as well. At 101, Trey Flowers, the defensive end out of Arkansas, ends up going to New England. He's been in the news this spring for the massive contract he got from the Detroit Lions. The next wide receiver off the board comes at 105, so just out of our 10-pick range, but we round him in because he's the next receiver off the board. Jamison Crowder, a wide receiver out of Duke. He ends up being fairly productive uh, in his early NFL career. And the next running back off the board comes right after Ty Montgomery in the form of Matt Jones out of Florida. So who should they have picked? Well, Flowers would be the intriguing option here, but in our redone draft, the Packers already have taken two defensive end, defensive linemen, pass rusher types, whatever you want to call them, edge rushers. And if we're trying to stay on the same side of the ball, we're probably picking Jamison Crowder here. So much like the Packers in 2015, we've got two defensive players and a wide receiver who has some special teams ability. Not too shabby. Not a ton of like world beater type players, but not too shabby either. The next time the Packers come up is with the 129th overall pick, fourth round. The original pick was Jake Ryan out of Michigan. 
This gets to be a tricky question because was this a good pick? Well, it wasn't a great pick. I don't know if it was necessarily a bad pick, though. Let's be real about Jake Ryan. He was fairly limited as a player. He did a lot of things well. He was pretty assignment sure. Uh, He didn't screw things up for you. But he was never going to be the sideline-to-sideline type modern linebacker, almost hybrid safety type, like one of the the Devons taken in the draft this year, like a Roquan Smith. That just wasn't his game. That wasn't what he did. But you wonder if he was ever really... don't want to fall into the was he used properly argument because it seems like that's an easy way out for uh, guys who maybe didn't necessarily always play up to their potential. That's not what I'm getting at with Ryan. I would like to have seen him, I guess, play for a defensive coordinator who is better at getting people in positions to do what they did well. For instance, I would have liked to see what Ryan did with a guy like Mike Pettin. Because Antonio Morrison always seemed like more or less the poor man's version of Jake Ryan, and he did pretty okay last year. Further, who else could the Packers have picked here? At 131, center Shaq Mason out of Georgia Tech goes to the Patriots. And at 137, Grady Jarrett, a defensive tackle out of Clemson, goes to New Orleans. The next linebacker is Ben Heaney out of Kansas. He's right out. So who should the Packers have picked? I don't like Shaq Mason there because the Packers had a pretty fairly deep center position. They had Corey Lindsley and J.C. Treader still at this point. Grady Jarrett is an intriguing prospect, but I don't know if they want to go with another defensive line type here. And Grady Jarrett seems, again, a little bit like cherry picking. The Packers also had a pretty significant need at inside linebacker at this time. So I'm actually going to stay put with Jake Ryan here. He's not an indefensible pick. He's not necessarily the greatest pick in the world either, but I think you can live with him. Next, we come to pick number 147. This is where it gets, I I think, the worst for the Packers. The original pick was Brett Hundley, whom they traded up to get. The quarterback out of UCLA. The Packers gave up 166 and 247 to get Hundley. And it turns out to be a bad decision. Was this a good pick for the Packers? Categorically, no. But it's important to think about why they were eager to pick a quarterback in this particular draft. Rewind all the way to 2011. The Packers go on their 15-1 and season, and they have some good depth behind Aaron Rodgers in the form of... Matt Flynn. The next year, it's a rougher story, but the Packers suffer through a a much more difficult season and do end up making the playoffs. In 2013, Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone and their quarterback depth is exposed because in the meantime, Matt Flynn has left for greener pastures and then bounced around the league and they really haven't backfilled at all. They've gone through Graham Harrell and B.J. Coleman, Vince Young was there. None of those guys worked out, so they end up with Seneca Wallace and Scott Tolzien. Neither of those are particularly world-beating type players. In 2014, they stick with Tolzien, but the the need for depth is, is obvious. So the Packers go into the draft 
feeling like they got to get a quarterback. This was not the time to get a quarterback, though. The 2015 quarterback class was uniquely bad. The entire quarterback class was all but a bust. First overall, Jameis Winston goes to the Buccaneers. Second overall, Marcus Mariota goes to the Tennessee Titans. Then you don't have another quarterback until 75th overall. The Saints pick Garrett Grayson. 89th, the then St. Louis Rams take Sean Mannion. At 103, the Jets take Bryce Petty. At 147, the Packers take Hundley. And at 250, the Denver Broncos take Trevor Simeon. It's a bad quarterback class, and it's a bad time to decide that you need a quarterback here. The options elsewhere are pretty slim, too. They just narrowly missed out on Stephon Diggs at 146. Not sure they'd have taken him anyway, but he was in the neighborhood if they'd traded up one slot higher. At 149, they've got Jay Ajayi, the running back out of Boise State, who ends up in Miami. And then you've got your quarterback options. So asking who they should have picked is a bit of a tricky proposition once again. If you want to stay on offense, you want to stay at quarterback, your only other option is Trevor Simeon. And that's a reach, literally more than 100 picks earlier than he had been previously taken. So we can't really do that. Had the Packers stayed put at 247, they'd have been able to snag him in a better situation, but they didn't. So if you go with the next best player available, or the most obvious best player available, it's Jai, who would probably have been a good pick at the time. Eddie Lacy is winding down in Green Bay, even after 2014. Was a pretty good season for him. You've got all the Eddie Lacy weight questions starting to really percolate. This would have given them some quality depth at running back, Because even James Starks was not all that he could be or all that he was at this point. Further, 147 is a pretty good range for a running back. And if you're going to trade up for a guy, why not put him at a position where he's actually going to get some burn? Ideally, your backup quarterback isn't going to play. So you might as well trade up for a guy that may actually help you on offense. That seems like a good good use of resources there. Interestingly... And I'm not too worried about pick 247 because it's it's not a big deal. But interesting, at 166, the Patriots, with whom the Packers traded, ended up taking a long snapper out of Navy, Joe Cardona. If that is not the most Bill Belichick draft pick ever, I have a hard time thinking of a better one. A special teams exclusive guy with a draft pick you got for free out of a service academy, that's pretty much Bill Belichick to a T. Then we get to the sixth round and the Packers' final three picks of the 2015 NFL Draft. They gave up their only seventh round pick. And they ended up picking three times within seven picks. First up is number 206, where they take Aaron Ripkowski, a fullback out of Oklahoma. Was this a good pick? I guess. We're 40-ish picks from the end or so. So who really cares about whether a guy is going to start? These are essentially priority free agents at this point. You're looking for backups and special teamers here. And as far as special teamers go and backup fullbacks, Ripkowski was solid enough. Uh, At 206, if you get a guy who's going to stick around on the team for more or less the life of his contract, be relatively solid, not screw it up for you, except for that fumble in Atlanta. Sorry, Aaron. Um, That's not too bad. 
And as to who else they could have picked, that's when this really starts to get to be a tough exercise. Because if you're counting 10 picks down from where the pick Packers actually selected, it's, well, it encompasses their next two picks. The next fullback off the board is Joey Iosfa, who ended up playing even less than Aaron Ripkowski. So if you talk about who they should have picked, honestly, I'm pretty fine with Ripkowski. Maybe not the greatest pick in the world, but there weren't a whole lot of other guys selected in this range that did a whole lot better than he did. Then, four picks later, the Packers are up again, taking defensive end Christian Ringo out of Louisiana. Was this a good pick? Not really. Every time there's a slightly undersized defensive lineman who makes his way to Green Bay, there is one name that gets invoked. Reggie White, of course. That's who you're thinking of. No, of course not. It's Mike Daniels. It's worked out once very well for the Packers, picking a defensive lineman who does not necessarily have prototypical size. Probably it's going to work out again, right? Well, it really hasn't, because Christian Ringo didn't really work out at all. He had a sack and a half in his career, had that very hilarious play where he came running on late and bulldozed right into a Seattle Seahawks defensive lineman. That was awesome, but not a really good reason to draft anybody. So I'm out on Christian Ringo here. Who else could they have picked? Well, Pickens pretty slim this late in the draft, but I like two guys here. Anthony Ciccolo, a edge rusher, defensive end, outside linebacker type out of uh, Miami of Florida, who ended up with the Pittsburgh Steelers and who has been pretty, pretty okay. Uh, he's been on and off their practice squad, on and off the active roster. He's been a fairly regular contributor um, or regular face in the lineup, I'll say that. Uh, for Pittsburgh when he's been on their 53, though. Then at 216, you get Christian Covington, a big defensive tackle out of Rice. He ends up with the Houston Texans. Both of them are more conventionally sized for the positions that they play. Between the two, I probably lean towards the slightly undersized outside linebacker type as opposed to the more conventionally sized defensive tackle at this point, but really I could go either way. Let's just say it's Chicolo, though, uh, for the sake of argument. Then, Final pick of the 2015 draft. Kennard Backman, the tight end out of UAB, comes to Green Bay. Backman, one of the final football players at UAB before their football program went uh, went dormant for a couple years and came back. Was this a good pick? Nope. Kennard Backman is the answer to the question, what if Brandon Bostic was less good at football? You get Kennard Backman. But who else could they have picked? Well, all the people in the draft where you need to go in a different direction, this is the one I'm the least sure about. Because at 213, you're depending on a lot of other factors, you know, who gets drafted before you. And there's a pretty small reservoir of players left at this point. So just to break our rule once, I'm going to go with a player who is neither picked within the next 10 Packers picks or... um at the same position as Backman. And here we'll say Trevor Simeon, the quarterback, joins the Packers. So they get their backup quarterback anyway. The final draft, 30th overall, the Packers take Preston Smith, the edge rusher. 62nd overall, another edge rusher in Frank Clark. 94th, Jamison Crowder, the receiver. 129, they stick with Jay Ryan, the linebacker. 147, they've got Jay Ajayi, a running back. 206, They stick with Aaron Ripkowski, the fullback. They select 
Anthony Ciccolo, another edge rusher type at 210, and then they rounded out getting their dra- backup quarterback at 213 in Trevor Simeon. What does this exercise teach us? Other than the fact that you can pick some names out of a hat that turned out to be better than the guys the Packers actually picked. Well, first, I think we should remember that even if the Packers didn't do particularly well in the 2015 draft, it wasn't like Hall of Famers were flying off the board left and right. I think a few years on, we see that this was not the greatest draft in the world, even if the Packers did have a below average after or weekend, not afternoon, weekend altogether, even in a below average class. Between 30 and 100, between where the Packers picked and the 100th overall pick, there were only five Pro Bowl players taken at all. And one of them is Tyler Lockett, who we mentioned earlier, who went as a special teams player and then only as a rookie hasn't been back since then. Not a great class overall. Secondly, the draft is a crapshoot. I don't think anybody really knows at all if any of these players are going to work out, even when they take them, even when it's their job to scout these guys for a living. Because you'll read about guys who were good, but people ended up talking themselves out of them for whatever reason. And even just look at the first two picks in my redraft. How would you have felt with those picks in 2015? Preston Smith, even today, even as a known NFL commodity, is not a very exciting player. He's a very good player, very solid one, but excitement, it's not really there. And I'm not sure there would have been much more of it there, even back in 2015, even at a position where I thought the Packers needed to be picking players. And thirdly, I think it's important to remember that sometimes guys just don't work out. And sometimes you just take guys because you got to fill out the roster. Look at two of the guys that I took that the Packers also took as well. Jake Ryan and Aaron Ripkowski. One of them, yeah, he wasn't great, but there were some mitigating factors. And maybe, you know, he could have been slightly better in a different system, but maybe not even that much better. But you could see the reasoning behind the pick. Same thing with Aaron Ripkowski. Fullback is kind of a dying position in the NFL. And they got about as much as they possibly could about a, uh, after, out of a sixth-round fullback in the draft. You can see the reasoning behind those picks. You can see the reasoning behind a lot of these picks. Even Demarius Randall, as we said. That they didn't necessarily turn out is not necessarily an indictment of the process. I've always argued that you've got two things you got to look at in the draft. You've got to evaluate the process and evaluate the outcome. The process, I think you can see it there. I think you can disagree with the process, but it's better to have a process you disagree with than not have one at all, looking at you, New York Jets. And of course, the results weren't necessarily good either, but the results are not necessarily an indictment of the process, and getting a good result with a bad process isn't necessarily a good thing either. All good stuff, I think, to to remember as we reflect on the draft from a few years ago, as well as go into the draft or go into the, the post-draft now season into training camp and beyond. A lot of what happens with these draft picks is out of their control and out of the Packers' control for that matter. What matters is the Packers made the best decisions they could at the time using the information that they had. I think there's some evidence here doing this again, that the Packers didn't necessarily make the best decisions they could have given the information they had at the time. But that's true for a lot of teams. And hopefully the Packers are on their way to making more good decisions in the future. 
and trying to avoid falling into the trap of trying to make square pegs fit into round holes in the future. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to download and tune in. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. If you'd like to take your support to the next level, donate $1 per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. That'll give you access to some new behind-the-scenes content coming each and every month. And don't forget to check out our great t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi or ask a question, you can reach us through thepowersweep.com on Facebook and on Twitter and via email by typing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com into the address bar of the email program of your choice. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out because every bit of feedback you give us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, which helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.